All right. Um, we are the second week into a new series. Thank you. You guys are great. Uh, God first supremacy. We've been talking about God first all year. This has been the, the thing that we've been pressing in on it, asking the question of how can we put God first and what, what happens when we put God first. And, and this part of the series is moving into the book of Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you didn't, uh, just grab a pew Bible in front of you, just like I have. It's page 1001 uh, that we will be on. Yes, 1001, I'm right. Yesterday... As I was uh, sitting in our non-air-conditioned house, sweating, I had a thought. And my thought was this. There's only 142 more days till Christmas. Can I get a witness? Yes! We're almost there. It's so close. I can smell the cookies right now. These uh, minutes and stuff are not quite accurate because I pulled it, pulled it uh, this morning. If you're new here, uh, I'm not joking at all. I am psyched about Christmas. I love Christmas. But I, I uh, love the mythology around Christmas too, which is why this week when I, I read a book on Friday uh, called uh, Mission Drift, and it, was ta- ta- it taught me a, a new thing about Santa Claus that I didn't know, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. Santa Claus uh, is the patron saint of the Montes Pietatis. Has anybody ever heard that before? No? These were ancient, in the medieval times, these were, little, these were places where you could go. If you ran into a difficult time, uh, didn't have enough money, lost your job, bad crop, whatever, and you could go to this place, and they were run by Franciscan monks, and you could go to those places, and they would give you a small amount of money so that you could buy... Um, food or seed or pay off your, 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 your rent, whatever it is. It was a small place. And they'd also pray with you. And uh, in fact, that, that actual phrase means mountain of piety or mount of piety. This place where you would go and receive a gift, a pious gift of love from these, these Christians uh, to, to you. In fact, there's a story that's told that, that attaches St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, whatever you want to call him, to this, and that there was a man who had three daughters that wanted to be married, but he had no dowry for them. And so, again, attached to this, uh, I can't even pronounce the Latin again, so the Mount of Piety, uh, he, he gives to this father these three, these three bags of coins. And so he, the daughters are able to, to be married. Does anybody know uh, what we call Montes Pietatis today? Any guesses? Pawn shops. This is the direct descendant, which is why if you look up St. Nicholas in some like Catholic saint book or something like that, you will find out he is the patron saint of pawn shops. I don't know what you think about that. And so you can see the symbols here. Uh, I don't know what exactly was in those bags according to the Lord, but I doubt it was guns and diamonds and gold. Because if I think about Santa Claus... That's not what comes to mind. And, and that was one of the points of this book, um, which I read. I, I'd encourage you to read. It was, really, it was a really interesting book. Uh, and what, in which he says, there's been a mission drift. There was this thing that started off as this place of piety, this place of offering, this place of grace. Like you could go and meet with people who loved you so much, they gave of their own 
their own ab- abundance to you to help you. And now we have pawn shops. <laughs> it's a significant difference. All kinds of uh, things that were detailed in the book. But shockingly, I know you're, you're ready for this. The Bible talks about this. <gasps> Not pawn shops, necessarily. Uh, but in Hebrews 2.1, we are warned about this idea, this idea of drifting, of starting really well, starting beautifully, starting in faithfulness to God, starting in a solid mission to care and love for others and to follow Jesus Christ and all of those things and drifting away and becoming something else. And we read this in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest... We drift away. Because you could start off like this. The beard needs to be improved on. But you could start off like that and end up like this. Right? And so we have to be careful. And that's the message this morning. It is the dangers and the dire warning against drift. Now, um, I want to propose something that I find to be drastically dangerously, dastardly um, problem in our, in our lives today, to your very souls. It's been something that's been weighing on my own heart about our family and my own closeness or lack thereof to God. And I want to propose it to you as something for you to consider in your own life. But in order to get there, we're going to have to kind of, you're going to have to hang with me for a minute because I have to make an argument uh, in fact, Hebrews is, if you really want to get the full punch of Hebrews, sit down, begin in chapter 1, verse 1, and read all the way through the 13 chapters. Because this is a letter that is designed to be an argument to convince you of one thing, Jesus is superior. I mean, you insert anything you want there. Anything you want, anything you love, anything you care about, Jesus is Superior, And that's the, that's the case I want to make uh, this morning. And so the chapters here, chapter 1 through chapter 2, begin with some kind of obscure information, stuff that might not make a lot of sense to us. I want to explain it a little bit before I get into an, act, uh, into an application, but, but we'll get there. So it begins by suggesting this. In chapter 1, so the first column there, chapter 1, at the, towards the end of verse 3, it tells us that Jesus, after making purification for sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is, he's at the right hand of God, which is the place of rule and authority and action, right? Having become much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is much, is much more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again... I will be to him a father, and you shall be to me a son. Now here, there's a couple of allusions, and throughout this book, we're going to see all these allusions and outright quotes from Old Testament passages. This is a quote from Psalm 2, verse 7, and 2 Samuel 4, uh, 4, verse 7, in which we are being uh, told that Jesus is here to replace divine intermediaries, the angels. Now, uh, angels are, are a word that we're familiar with. We, we use them all the time. We use that word all the time. Uh, in Hebrew, it's melach. In, in, he, in, in uh, Greek, it is angelos. You can hear how it's like a direct pull. Angelos, angel. And angel is just a word in the, ancient, in, the, in the Bible, in the ancient world, that means messenger. So if I say to Emery, yes, thank you, wave. Yes. 
go get your sister. It's time for dinner. Uh, she's my messenger. She's my angel. And you are my little angel. Uh, yes. Uh, this. Uh, that makes her an angel, a messenger from me. Now, now, what we receive in Scripture then is that there are these beings, and they seem to be uh, special in such a way that they have come directly from God to deliver a message to humans. They are a divine intermediary, an intermediate, something that stands between two things. God has a message he wants to give to people, and so he has angels do that. And this is caused because there's all kinds of divine uh, beings in the Bible. We kind of conflate them all. And when you think about angels, you might think about a lot of different things. You might think they look like this. They don't. You might think they look like this. They don't. You might think they look like this. They don't. Because watching curling this winter is more fun than any baseball game you've ever watched. The most boring sport. It's terrible. Let's be real. It was great when no one had TV or Netflix. Now we do. <laughs> Chris goes, who's wearing his Detroit shirt, signed out, not listening. The point is this. The point is this. We use the word angel for a lot of stuff, don't we? We use it metaphorically, like the baseball team. We use it literally. Some people think that this is what it looks like. Right? That is not what angels are. Angels function as messengers from God, and the only depiction we have from them is either something that is kind of human or something that shines so brightly you have to shield your eyes from it. Those are the descriptions that we have. Yes, something more like that. That is far closer than the other things, yes. Uh, the point is that when God wanted to say something to people, he would send an angel. And so what is happening here is that, uh, is that these people who are receiving this letter, they have invested deeply into the Old Testament. They have lived the laws, the messages, the messages that God sent to them via angels. They have lived faithfully to those messages and now they are being told there is something that is greater that has come than angels. Something greater. Because if you receive a message from me, from Dan here, you might believe me. Maybe. Dan's an okay guy. But if you hear a message from Laura, far more trustworthy and pretty, right? All of those things. Oh, That's true. If you let the beard grow a little more... Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the point is the closeness of the relationship that I have with her makes her a better messenger. The closeness of a son from the father, right? If God the father sends you a message and he has an angel deliver it, well, that's good news because you want that message. You want to know how to serve God. You want to know what God wants from you. That's great. It is wonderful that God would send a message to you through an angel. But if God sends his son... Like, that's, that's better, isn't it? Not only is that better in the sense that, well, I mean, that message is, like, super trustworthy. But what does that tell you about God's view of you? I'm not sending you messengers anymore. It's not good enough. I need you to hear my word from my mouth, so I send my son. Like, that 
tells you something about the intensity of God's love for you. And that's what this author is trying to help us to understand. He's trying to help these ancient hearers to understand this. And so he, he has all these messages throughout chapter 1 where he says, listen, the, the messenger, a son is better than any other messenger, any other angel. Uh, the son is better than the messengers because the messengers, the angels, are told to worship him, we're told in verse 6. And the, the messengers, the angels, are his ministers. They serve him in verse Seven And so the Son receives all rule and power and authority in verses 8 through 9. In other words, in every, every conceivable way, Jesus is superior to angels. And so in verse 14, we have a very important line. Are they not all ministering spirits, that is the angels, sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? Now, if you're new to church, that might have been just a confusing line. So let me try to clarify it for you if I can. And that is simply to say this. If, if God sends a messenger to you, aren't you more important than the messenger? Like, aren't, if the sender has something of such high importance to you, and this messenger is coming, he's serving you, he's bringing you that message. And so you are, you are the one being ministered to, and if you're the one being ministered to, then you are more important than them. All of this is trying to draw them into understanding that they are in a position greater than anyone in history because they have received the good news of salvation from the Son of God. No longer the laws of Moses, no longer the angels who wait around the throne, now it is the Son of God who has come to redeem you. And so... I read Hebrews as kind of, a, kind of a spiral that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Or you might read it as kind of a roller coaster. How many of you guys like roller coaster rides? Anyone? Yes. Yes. Some strange people out there. They run those things all summer long. And right, all, you understand all summer long, one thing goes wrong and you all die. Like you get that about roller coasters, right? Okay. So we're, we're going to do the, theological roller coasters here so we're all safe and sound and our guts don't feel like they're about to... So we hear all these wonderful things. Man, Jesus is so great. He's so much greater than every other message you've ever heard. You have the Son of God who has come to deliver you a message of salvation. Good news, good news, good news, good news, good news, good news, and the drop therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, it was trustworthy. And every transgression or disobedience of the message that you received brought about retribution. To the point of which often it was judgment, sickness, or death. How shall we escape if we neglect the great salvation we have received? Now, I don't know if that kicks you in the guts, but it should. That's the author's point. If in the Old Testament, and we just walked through, those of you who are new today weren't weren't a part of that, but we we just walked through uh, the book of Deuteronomy, we saw how serious God takes obedience to his word. 
to the word given to them by angels through Moses to the people, how much more serious when God sends his son um, to give you that message? And Jesus, the son, gives us images of the retribution. He gives us images in story form because it's too terrible to really lay out in such a way that our minds can conceive of it. He talks about weeping and mourning. He talks about teeth that are grinding because of the pain. He talks about fire and sulfur and judgment and death. He talks about, most often, he compares hell, judgment. He compares it to a burning toilet and trash heap outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna. And it's serious business. Meant to grab a hold of us and shake us awake. Don't drift. Because if you drift, how will you escape the judgment? Now it gets worse than that, right? You're welcome. Just get better and better. I think the scariest thing is not those. The scariest thing is not these images that Jesus gives us, these pictures of, of, of these fearful pictures, but rather what we read in verse 2. Two things. Pay much closer attention. Some of you guys are saying, what, what, what were you talking about again? I understand. And don't drift away. Because the hardest two things to do, especially in our day and age, when already... 14 of you have already checked your Facebook feed. I've only been going for 10 minutes. Paying attention is the hardest thing to do. And drifting away is the easiest thing to do. We're not talking about full frontal attacks by demonic forces. We're not talking about cancer. We're not talking about uh, uh, marriages that are struggling or kids that are sick or you're just tired and worn out. We're not talking about the things that actually plug into our lives and make it so difficult. We're talking about the fact that you just take your eyes offshore and the next thing you know, you don't know where you are. The word drift here for you language nerds out there is a word that is both passive and subjunctive. For you non-language nerds, which is everyone but Steve and me, That's one way of saying you couldn't be worse off. It's a way of saying it's not something you're doing. It's just happening to you. You're just there and you're just letting life go and you're just floating away. You ever floated in a river? Ever been on a... Something like that. Like that that's, that's what's happening here. And so there's this, this warning that, hey, listen, the, the word of God has come to you. has come to you in Jesus. And it's telling you, listen, you can't not pay attention to this. You, you can't at any point take your eyes off of him. Because as soon as you do, you will drift. And if in the ancient world they didn't escape judgment, I mean, how much more us? So there's a kind of an intensity, a ramped intensity that's come from the Old Testament. Not only is our salvation so much better, so much greater, so much more beautiful, so much more complete, but so is the possibility of judgment. Now, I've been running this by everyone that I can this week because I had a thought, and I want to share it with you, and I, I hope that it lands in a way that's helpful. 
But I was racking my brain to think about how to apply this to our modern context. Because whether or not you are here today and you've been like, I've been a Christian for like a thousand years. I know the Bible inside and out. I teach at seminary. I'm a genius. I know it all. To who's that Jesus guy anyway, right? Wherever you are on that spectrum, I doubt very much any of you have ever thought to yourselves, boy, I think angels might be better than Jesus, right? We're not wrestling with that. You're not not wrestling with the fact of maybe I ought to become a Jewish convert. Most people aren't doing that. So I was trying to think, what is it that angels did and what can we compare that to today in our time? And what angels did was they brought beauty and truth. They told the people what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, what is beautiful and what is ugly. What communicates that to us today? Isn't it our culture? Isn't it our celebrities? Our movies, our TV shows. I've said this uh, maybe 20,000 times, and so here's 20,001. Every TV show that you watch or your kids watch is not a story. It is an argument. It's an argument. It is depicting to you what is good and what is bad. The villain in the show, they communicate that to you, right? And the villain does the bad thing. Boy, wouldn't it be interesting to watch the Dick Van Dyke show? If you go on Netflix, it's there. Most of you don't even, like, some of you know what that is. I watched that the other day with Emery, and she was like, five minutes in, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> watch the villain in that show, and then watch Modern Family. And watch the progression in, in the 60s, it was a sin to get a divorce, and then it wasn't. And then it was a sin to live with somebody outside of marriage, and then it wasn't. And then it was a, a sin to, you know, have frivolous sex, and now we are sex positive as a culture. Whoever, whenever, as long as it's consensual. And now we're having trouble determining who is a male and who is a female. And whether or not you're here today saying, oh great, another one of those sermons. It's not. I just want you to stop for a second and ask the question, how did that shift happen in 60 years? For a thousand years. For a thousand years. I kid you not. It was the same perspective. And all of a sudden in 60 years, it's different. How did that happen? Who changed our minds? culture. Now, I don't, you don't have to think that there is some secret cabal of 'er ne'er-do-wells plotting to transform the world into a bunch of evil lemmings. There are, but you don't have to believe me. You don't. I just want you to ask the question, if you were to ball up your time this week, And all of the media that you took in, so I'm talking books, TV, uh, movies, music, uh, apps, all of the media that you took in this week that is not Christian, each one communicating to you a message about what is beautiful, what is good, and what is true. Take all that time, and then take all of the media this week that you consumed that it was Christian, music, podcasts, movies, books, whatever, Bible reading, all that stuff, and you took the time over here and the time over here, and you set it against itself, let me ask you the question, who delivered to you the most amount of messages this week? And is it possible 
Whatever you think about anything I've said right now, is it possible that one of them is convincing you of something because you're receiving more of it? And my warning to you today is not take a baseball bat to the screens in your house. My warning to you today is to ask the question, where am I, who am I listening to? How much time, how much energy, and what is it teaching me? Because everything is teaching you something. Every time you hear anything, it's pouring something into you. And that's why when I flip radio stations, I hear and feel different things. I literally feel, anybody like that? Like you feel different things. When I switch from rock to rap to Christian music, to all, everything creates a new sense in me. What is that? If not teaching. And the dangerous thing is that these days we teach most frequently without logic and most frequently with emotion, which is why we're all talking about outrage and the lack of civility. Emotions are high and they're raging and they most often lie to us. And so the warning of scripture here is to say, hey, listen, you've got to pay close attention And what I find most people doing today is not paying attention at all. And it's so easy to do. I mean, I'm not not like laying blame at your feet that doesn't lay at our feet as a family as well. We all do that. Like, all right, go watch TV. What is she hearing? What is she seeing? All right, Alexa, play whatever. You know, I mean, we're, we're all doing this stuff. And we're not thinking. We're not paying attention. And because we aren't paying attention, our songs are not riddled with Jesus. Our thoughts aren't necessarily riddled with Jesus. We can't quote scripture to one another. When's the last time anyone quoted scripture to you? When's the last time the illustration that came into your brain wasn't a movie quote, but was a quote from the scriptures? I mean, all of that stuff is true, and it's happening passively, passively to us because we aren't paying attention. And if I can get you to grab a hold of one idea today, I would ask you, to pay attention. I ran into the same, the same book that I talked about earlier. I ran into this really fascinating quote from Brad Pitt, right? Star of stars. Stage, screen, and looking really handsome. And he says this. This is, uh, this is a quote from Rolling Stone uh, after the movie Fight Club. If you know what that movie is, a huge hit. Fight Club was made. He says this to the interviewer. He says, hey man, I don't have... Those answers yet, asking a question there. Uh, The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it. I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know, but I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. Right? Because what else can you want when you've got everything? You ever said that? What do I get for the person who's got everything? More stuff, I don't know. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. I mean, this is the guy who's got everything. And, and, and my point to you is this. My point to you is this. The, the roller coaster ride that Hebrews brings us, it brings us this moment of, of great conviction and warning. Be careful lest you drift away. I mean, that's serious and that's intense. And it and it gives us this gut drop of like, oh man, am I doing this? Am I drifting away? Am I not paying attention? And then it ramps back up and says, this is the reason why you should be paying attention. It isn't because of the retribution. 
Jesus doesn't want us to come to him because we're hoping that we won't receive judgment. Jesus wants us to come to him because he is better than anything else. He is more lovely, more beautiful. And he loves you more. Right? I mean, uh, think of all of the stars and all of the arguments and all the TV shows and all the musicians. They don't care about you. They don't send their son to you. God sent his son to you that you might have a room in his house. That eternal life could be yours. And that anything temporal, as we saw, anything temporal is not only not enough, but it won't fulfill you even when you get it. Because Jesus is better. Whether we're talking money, Jesus is better. Relationships, Jesus is better. Marriage, Jesus is better. Children, Jesus is better. Success, Jesus is better. Food, 401ks, boats, whatever it is that you could stick in there, Jesus is better because Jesus is the one thing along with your immortal soul that will not pass away, that will not let you down, that will not give up on you, but will give you eternal life and will give you power and life and his spirit right now no matter what you're going through, whether it is the hardest time of your life or it's the most successful you've ever been. Jesus is more. Which is why we serve him. And why we follow him. And why we look to him. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons and daughters to glory should be the founder of our perfect salvation. Is he your salvation this morning? Have you drifted? We drift. We wake up one day and we say, man, I've, I've wandered. Where, where am I? What happened here? Maybe you're lost. If you're lost, we can show you the way because we can show you to Jesus. We are not the way. I am not the way. Jesus is the way. And if you have wandered today, we'd love for you to come to the sides here. No one's, this is not a high pressure thing. No one's going to be watching you, taking down names. But our elders will be here and they want to pray with you because they love you. Because they have all been lost. We have all been lost. Even followers get lost. But Jesus is still calling. Come to him today. Let's stand as we sing.